This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to the Daily Digest with me, T. Shao Ik and Lim Su An. Earlier, our first story was about coping with loneliness um, or feelings of isolation, if that's what you may be going through now that we are in a second MCO. So if you missed that, uh, Dr. Eugene T., uh, the Associate Professor uh, in Psychology, had a lot of great tips to share. You can download that podcast on our BFM app or on our website, bfm.my. Now, moving on to our second story. Over the past year, we've spoken a lot about how the COVID-19 pandemic is more than just a health crisis. You know, it's caused a surge in cases of domestic violence, intimate partner violence, sexual harassment, and now it looks like there's a rise in reports of cases of child rape perpetrated by family members. So Bukit Aman's Principal Assistant Director of the Sexual Women and Child Investigations Division, Siti Kamsia Hassan, told Utusa Malaysia that most of the cases that have been reported were children being abused for the first time in the last five to six years. Mm, and it's important to note that according to this news report, uh, lockdowns aren't said to be the cause of the spike in child rape by family members, but the reason why more cases are coming to light. So Siti Kamsia attributed the increase in reports to the disclosures made by survivors to a trusted relative during this period where family members are spending more time together at home. Uh, and Siti Kamsia also added that most of the offenders are the biological fathers and the survivors would have no knowledge of what sex is and were not aware that what was being done to them was criminal and she added that they might not want to report the crime as it involved their own family member but that once the survivor becomes a teenager they might report it as they finally understand that what had happened to them was a crime. Yes, and Siti Kamsia went on to explain that there are cases where the mother did not realise the child was being raped and when she finds out refuses to report it for fear of losing her husband. Mm. So there was a quote uh, in the news report from Siti Kamsia. Um, here are some stats provided by Bukit Aman. A total of 825 incest cases were reported from 2018 till the end of 2020. The highest number of cases was in 2019 at 300 cases, followed by 2018 with 266 cases. And last year, we had 259 cases. Um, yeah, uh, uh and uh, from, from 2018 to 2020, 861 children aged 6 to 18 were victims of incest and the highest cases were those of uh, teenage rape. Mm, and biological fathers committing these offences were the highest at 225 individuals, followed by stepfathers at 188, uncles at 159 cases and brothers at 90 cases. So, I mean, that's a lot of numbers that we just gave you. It's a lot to take in. So joining us right now to comment on the issue is Charmla Sekarin. Chairperson of Voice of the Children. Hi, Shamla. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. So um, so just to jump right into it, you know, have measures such as the MCO in all its different forms led to children being at an increased risk of sexual exploitation, including incest? Um, for sure. Um, you know, one of the important things about the MCO is the lack of um, being able to move out and about, both for the perpetrator as well as for the child. And um, so, you know, uh, now we have a perpetrator and the child survivor being in close confines for very long periods of time, 24 hours at a go. Um, and that increases the risk of a child being violated um, and not being able to to leave or, or escape the, um, you know, the perpetrator. Mm. I mean, what evidence have you seen of this, you know, through your work, uh, especially in Voice of the Children? And how do these statistics or reports that we're, uh, we're seeing compare to pre-COVID times? 
Um, I think one of the things we have to remember really is that, um, you know, um, child sexual abuse and violence is grossly underreported for a variety of reasons. And, you know, um, just now when you you were sharing what Siti Kamsi said, um, you know, there are a lot of impediments to clear reporting. Um, And one of the key things is the fact that there is really nowhere that children can really call and and complain and know that they will be heard and, uh, you know, the complaint addressed in a child-friendly way. Talian Kasi um, exists for all domestic violence cases. So we are not clear that the people who answer the calls are able to address it from a child perspective um, and and gain the trust and support of the child um, who is the complainant. And, and very often that that is off-putting for a child, you know, and, and then they don't complain. And and what is worrying is not only do they not complain at Talian Kasi then or Talianor, they then don't also complain elsewhere because they think they're going to be treated in the same way. Um, what we have found is that there is definitely um, an increase in, num- um, in the numbers of reporting coming back uh, of the complaints coming in, as well as the type of offences so um, we um, it, sometimes it seems to escalate um, the offences because they're in close confines for longer periods of time. Mm. Um, and I think in some cases, it's also a case where both the child and the mother um, are victims of the perpetrator. And so the mother is in a situation where she herself can't really uh, complain or is unwilling to complain. Um, and that puts the pressure on the child as well not to complain. Mm. On the flip side, um, well, the authorities are saying that because survivors are at home during this lockdown period, they have the courage to speak up to other family members during the MCO since they're all at home together more. What are your thoughts on that? Um, Certainly, there are aspects of this where, for example, you know, you have uh, cases in families where uh, one parent goes to work during the daytime and the other parent goes to work at night and and is out of the uh, house. But during the MCO, everyone is at home together and the parent who normally would be at work at night and would therefore not really know what was going on um, while they were out, um, is now at home and can see the kind of interaction between the offending parent and child um, and is therefore more aware of what's going on. So there is certainly some aspect of that. Um, and, and sure, also in terms of um, sibling uh, siblings um, understanding what's going on, you know, now that they're all... Uh, stuck together. There's an element of that uh, coming out. But, you know, I like to say that, you know, there is a juxtaposition and um, there is an element of increased domestic uh, violence against the child, as well as an element of greater reporting. Um, If we look at the statistics um, received across globally, uh, we can see that there has definitely been an increase, a marked increase, sometimes up to 70 percent of complaints of sexual violence against a child during this time, during you know, the global lockdowns in, in the different countries, um, whether it's from China or India or Europe, Australia, wherever it is, um, I, I don't think it is race or ethnic or geographical specific, geographic specific. Um, it is something that's happening across the board. Hmm. So has the pandemic and you know all the subsequent movement control orders uh, also resulted in more obstacles for victims to report offences? Um, In some ways, yes. Um, I I think there are two obstacles. One, who does a child report to? And very often, um, depending on the age of the child and the child's awareness and knowledge of what is happening to him or her, and we have to remember that this is not solely an issue faced by girl children, uh, 
boys are also sexually violated. Um, very often it's been picked up at school by, by teachers um, or they confide in a classmate, a, a close friend uh, at school. Um, and these cases are not being picked up. Certainly the cases where they are able to speak to and confide in family members, those cases are coming out a lot more now. Um, and that is a good sign that family members are hearing each other out and you know, are willing to sound the alarm. Um, one of the impediments, of course, is the fact of, you know, I don't think there is sufficient awareness of, one, what is sexual violence against a child? And two, where do we report it? Um, apart from the obvious thing of any kind of offence, we go to the police station. But if you're in a lockdown, then maybe you can't. Yeah. Uh, the awareness of Talian Kasi and, and like I said, you know, how viable it is, um, is uh, in some doubt for us. Mm. Uh, I, I just want to make a point also with regards um, the newspaper report. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it says that Bukit Aman talks about the increase in incest. I'm not sure whether that was a Bukit Aman error or a reporting error mm-hmm. by the newspaper. Um, you know, we have to draw a distinction between what is sexual violence against a child. And in this case, we're talking about parental violence, sexual violence against a child or sexual abuse of a child versus incest, which is an offense under the penal code where two family members, um, a, a parent and child or or two siblings um, get together and consensually. Okay, so it's where two family members consent to having sex or entering into sexual relations, which is an offense um, in the penal code. This is actually sexual violence against a child, which is in a sense different because a child can't consent. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to draw that distinction because um, what we don't want is for this to be treated as an incest case where both parties could be um, targeted and, and penalized. You know, here the child has no choice in the matter mm. and does not consent or, or can't consent. Mm. Um, Sharmila, you mentioned some of the obstacles earlier, but uh, and, and just to add on to that, could that also could these obstacles that exist now because of the pandemic and the MCOs could that mean that some may never report a case? Uh, well, um, could be they they certainly won't be reporting it now. They could report it much later when aggression takes over in in the, in adulthood. Um, you know, we do know of cases where children have tried to uh, commit suicide just to get out of the abuse because they do know that there's something wrong that's going on and they don't know what to do about it. Um, we have situations where, for example, when an NCO is declared, you know, a child, like, you know, when parents are separated and a child may normally live with one parent and just visit uh, the other parent, but when an NCO is declared, how do we deal with these um family separation issues and, you know, suddenly a child finds him or herself with the other parent uh, who they don't normally live with um, and violence takes place, sexual violence takes place then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes they there is nowhere else for them to go and, you know, the only way out is to either run away and, and get picked up by the police and we know that the police are picking people up yeah. for being down, um, or or to find, you know, another way out by committing suicide. Mm. So, you know, with all these cases um, of child sexual abuse, how has the voice of the children been assisting in these cases? Um, You know, we have um, 
So we don't actually do grassroots work specifically, but we do do advisory and counselling work. Not not counselling of the person, but advisory and and you know how to progress the cases further. Mm-hmm. So um, people have been reaching out to us. Um, both adults, parents, uh, neighbours as well are an important. Um, not just family members, but neighbours or people within a community also are aware and and um, should be put on the alert. And we should be engaging with them because we also get um, uh, notices or, or complaints um, mm-hmm. from them. Uh, that enable us to then um, either inform the police or JKM or, you know, do some level of rescue. Um, I do know that my other colleagues who actually do have helplines have been receiving um, heightened rates of calls and complaints and, and, um, you know, requests for help. Um, So, you know, a lot of it is to do with... um, how we actually go in and ensure that the child is safe, protected, and if necessary, rescued um, from that situation that he or she finds themselves in. Yeah. Um, Shamila, what are your recommendations for law enforcement to address the additional threats presented by this pandemic? You know, one of the big problems that we face in Malaysia is a complete lack of knowledge and care and awareness and really care and concern about protection of children. Uh, children are often treated as second-class citizens in Malaysia, and, and that is a very worrying trend, and very little has happened to to change that in, in recent times. We saw some level of change with the Pakatan government, but, you know, obviously it was short-lived because they were only around for 18 months or so. Um, but really, in terms of law enforcement, they need to start engaging with communities. Um, they need to encourage community policing. They need to engage with neighbours, um, you know, Rukun Tatanga is one good example, mm-hmm. um, working with apartment building uh, managements and, and there are different kind of, um, you know, um, apartment committees and, and people like that, that they can reach out to um, and basically getting them to put up notices as much as they put up social distancing notices in, in lifts and, and mm-hmm. you know, corridors of, of apartments to also put up notices to raise awareness as to how a victim, a child, who is being sexually violated um, can reach out, you know, where do I call? If I don't know, where do I call? And if there's something in a lift or, or in a, a corridor, um, they might, or, you know, um, common areas, they might be able to access some level of help also for them to set up little um, communities where people can go and help within, within a complex, within a, a gated community or a apartment building or whatever. Mm. Um, and what we're actually not seeing at all is um, awareness campaigns. We're not seeing this from the ministry, from JKM. We're not seeing this from the police. Um, MKN, uh, we get regular updates on policing from MKN, mm-hmm. but we get nothing from um, the minister, Ismail Sabri, who is in charge, uh, Minister of Defence, obviously, but you know he's in charge of this whole thing and, and rolling out the, the notices and announcements. Very little awareness. He should be actually announcing that, you know, if, you know, Parents and children, if you are at risk and need of protection, this is what you need to do. Um, this is how you reach out and, and get help. These are the numbers to call. You know, there are different points of, of uh, introduction and, and, you know, communicating which are being lost because we're not um, serious about this. Um, and also really to introduce more points of contact. And this is something that both the police and government need to consider doing. Um, obviously, 
now a lot more outlets are open, uh, shopping complexes are open in places like that. But previously under the, the you know, really serious lockdown mm-hmm. in March, um, only pharmacies and grocery stores were allowed to open. But to introduce points of contact there where um, people um, who go in can actually, um, you know, you have a little notice saying, you know, if you need help, this is what you need mm. to do. You know, mm. these are code words. These are numbers you can call. So they really need to do a lot more about reaching out to people who, and children in particular, who are at risk of violation. And also to work with teachers because, you know, teachers are doing education online. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a lot more that they can do in terms of reaching out to children who are at risk. And teachers will know um, at some level who the children that they need to keep an eye out for are. Mm-hmm. And they could out to the children to make sure that they are okay. Mm. So on that note, um, what signs should other family members, caregivers, neighbours or, or teachers, for example, look out for to prevent um, instances of incest or child sexual abuse from happening? Um, one is the amount of time um, a, a perpetrator spends with a particular child um, and whether the perpetrator shows a particular amount of uh, interest in that child. So, for example, if the perpetrator goes to the grocery store, only one child gets extra ice cream. Um, the others are forgotten about, say, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also um, for families and friends to reach out to each other. Um, I know earlier you had an issue, uh, you, you're, you're all talking about being uh, in isolation and That's feeling right. disconnected. Mm. But, you know, at the same time, um, that is the point of, of introduction to speak to children um, it, within families, even if you don't, you're not in the same household and can't see them, to engage with them from the outside, um, and and you know you can gain certain um, inflections and in voices, and and you can ask very pointed questions, you know how they are doing is are they okay is everything well are they happy you know very very pointed questions um, with neighbors it's about listening out for. For example, if you know if a child is constantly crying or or um, raised voices, you know, and and very aggressive uh, language, you know, um, once twice, yes, we understand. You know, everyone's under a lot of we yes. feel like we're in a pressure cooker, mm-hmm. but it's something happening all the time. Um, if a child comes out and and is withdrawn, for example, um, things like that are, are signs that you know um, that there is something not quite right, and a question needs to be asked. Are you okay? Do you need help? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keeping an extra eye and ear out uh, all times, right? Um, yeah, last, and, uh, and, not, and not to be ostriches, you know, with our head in the sand. We don't want to absolutely. hear my neighbor's business. Absolutely. Um, just the last note, Chamila. What assistance do organizations such as yours need, especially now, in order to carry out your roles to address sexual violence against children? Um, you know, it's very, very hard to get support from the police and from um, the authorities. Uh, you know, now you need to register with NITI, you need to leap over um, all sorts of hurdles and barriers. Um, we're often at risk, those who go to the ground are often at risk of being picked up. And of course, there's the COVID risk, you know, of, of exposing ourselves um, to the, the uh, virus. In, of course, which is when you are on the ground, yep. Yeah, so... Um, Really, you know, support in terms of one, the more practical support of PPE uh, equipment, mm-hmm. gloves, masks, that kind of stuff, which um, a lot of organizations, um, NGOs, number one, a lot of funding has been reduced. Um, and two, this is certainly not um, funding or, or uh, um, uh, an expense that was put into the funding mm-hmm. request. 
Um, so it's an excessive, uh, it's, you know, extra uh, expense. But also um, in terms of enabling, you know, getting the police support when we need to reach out to families. And, and you know, what we find is that, you know, sometimes they knock on doors, a, a complaint goes in, they go and knock on the door, they speak to invariably the perpetrator mm. who says, no, everything is fine, just a naughty kid. And the police walk away saying it was a naughty kid and nothing is done. Or if the perpetrator does not open the door or, or answer the, the, you know, the, the doorbell, then they just walk away, oh, no one's home, rather than insist that they need to breach um, the doorway and to to see the children or, or you know the victim of whom the complaint is made. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Shamila. That was Shamila Sekaran, chairperson of Voice of the Children, and she was sharing with us um, the situation regarding the uh, children at risk of sexual abuse and what has been the impact of the MCO on these cases and the reporting of such cases. Mm, and, you know, if you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can continue to do so by tweeting us at BFM Radio or WhatsApp us at 18 Yep, and that's all the time that we have for today's show. You can also drop us a line uh, for the bigger picture if you'd like to get in touch with us directly. Uh, we are on Facebook at BFM The Bigger Picture. If you missed any part of uh, this story or the earlier story um, in the hour, you can download the podcasts at bfm.my slash daily digest on the BFM app or uh, on uh, the usual places where you'd get your podcasts Spotify, Apple, and Google. Coming up after the three o'clock news, Juliet Jacob. We'll be speaking with Carlos Steen, um, well, three members of the Steenland family, Carlos, Sydney, and Indy, and they're from the Sea Monkey Project, and uh, she'll be speaking to them about how they're tackling plastic pollution in our oceans. Um, so stay tuned for that, um, and uh, you know we will leave you with some messages and music to take you out. You've been listening to the Daily Digest on the Bigger Picture, BFM eighty nine point nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.